We're here to share with you inspiring stories that bring to life all the little and big ways that people bring more love, joy, laughter, and humanness to everyday life. Our focus is the hunt for those little moments that refuel the human soul and reminds us what life is really all about. I invite you to sit back, enjoy the moments, enjoy the stories, the adventures, and the journeys. Welcome back to another episode of What the World Needs More of. My name is Jarek Robbins. I am your host for this journey. Today we are joined by Alex Marson. Alex, thank you for joining us. Great to be here. Now we're going to start with the question of the show, which is what do you believe the world needs more of? You know, I think more and more the world needs connection. I think that, you know, in so many different forms, this is this is the thing that can hold us back is is people feeling isolated not having a shared sense of meaning, not having a shared sense of purpose. And where there's connection, there's hope. So powerful and so true. How do you kind of bring that more to life every day in what you do? Well, I, you know, I'll, I'll tell you. So I'm, I'm a scientist. I have a lab at the, at the University of California at UCSF. And I'm incredibly excited about the science that we're doing. Uh, we, we are working in the lab and in collaboration with others to understand how genetics control our immune system. And as we're learning more and more, we're also developing the ability to do gene editing in human immune cells. And um, I hope that where this is taking us is that we could actually genetically modify human immune cells taken out of the blood, modify them so that they have new enhanced properties and that they can actually be used as a new type of medicine, a genetically engineered medicine living cells that go in and be engineered to either find cancer and eliminate it or treat other types of diseases, autoimmune diseases like rheumatoid arthritis or multiple sclerosis or Crohn's disease. So I'm incredibly excited about our mission, I'm energized by the progress that we and our collaborators are making. But I'll say one thing that really motivates me on a day-to-day -day level is, is the process. And what I see in my lab is a group of people that are diverse. They come from different countries. They are different ages. They have all sorts of different backgrounds. But we're united in this, in in really a fundamental curiosity about how how our bodies work, how they stop working in in disease, and and then a shared mission about how we can we can think of new creative ways to get to the point where we might approach new whole new ways of treating disease. And what I've really seen is that at a time when really so many of us are scared you know, about where we're at in the way that people from different countries are being treated, when we see attacks on science and rationality, I find that there's a real healing and an optimism that comes from a group of people with a shared mission that really just you know are have the privilege of having the resources to go and 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 look at, and embrace our creativity, work together, work collaboratively, 
And in addition to hopefully moving us towards some things, some some new treatments, I think the process is already a healing thing. Powerful. I can see that brings brings purpose of people combining together and working on a shared purpose or mission creates that natural connection and it creates hope of what's possible. I think it's so beautiful to see that when so many people, um, like you said, stuff going on in the world, they see it via a filtered source, the news or media in some way that already has an opinion or a placement on, on what things are good or bad or right or wrong. But then in reality, um, you know, when you get into a group of people and you're working with people on a shared mission from all parts of earth, it's amazing. It's beautiful. And, and you see how wonderful humans are, how, mu how much heart they have, how, how much they care, how hard they're willing to work for the common good. It's a very beautiful place. Here's a question. What would you consider to be your wow factor? What makes you uniquely you? And what are some of the moments that help shape it over the years? Uh, it's a great question. I, I, it's, it's, hmm, I, I, it's, it's hard for me to always embrace the, uh, the idea that, that there is a wow factor, but I guess insofar as there may be, I think that, uh, I, you know, I think I, have, I bring a few, few attributes that have been really great at catalyzing teams. I, I'm, I have a genuine optimism and curiosity, and I, I think that that's, that's certainly key in science, but I think it's key in a lot of things of just sort of embracing what may be possible and, and imagining how to get there. And uh, I think that the things that I've, I've tried to couple with that are really two two things. One is is sort of is persistence, and uh, I think that that something that served me well is 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 a persistence, a determination to sort of endure for something that I care about. And um, and the other that that thing that has really made an enormous difference in 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 areas where I've succeeded is collaboration. I, I just, at my core, really believe that 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 there's that collaboration expands the set of possibilities, and that good collaborations give you give you more. And and it's not a matter of division; it's actually a matter of gr growing the 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 product that you develop, the, the the discovery that you make. And good collaboration leads to more credit all around. It's true. It's, it, it, it's true. I think that. The hard part is battling the egos, battling the, <laughs> the stubborn ones. Um, but but the, the truth is, I think like attracts like. And when you're in that position and you're cultivating being curious and being open and being willing to share, you, you tend to find the ones who aren't. And you, you, you see them, you love them, you care about them, You're like, yeah, that's great. And then you move on and, and you tend to attract the ones. And I don't know, I'd love to hear your experience. Do you feel that you tend to attract more people who are collaborative and who do like to share? Um, you know, what's been your experience in that? Because I know when there's things on the line, when there's uh, fame or fortune or power of some sort or, or money in, in certain cases as far as grants or research awards, um, it's very interesting how people act when there's nothing on the line versus when there is something on the line. Well, you know, I think that another big, big determinant is is how is a feeling of security, and I know that the moments where it's been the hardest for me to 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 reach in and really feel like I am in a position to collaborate are the moments where I I feel like I need credit or need something to to get to the next stage, and so it you know it, it that's when it takes the most the most work to realize that 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 collaboration is actually is actually the the 
the better long-term path. And so I think sometimes it can, um, it can seem like it's, it's just, it's, it's a threat that there's someone else who, who's, who's working in the same area. But in my, in my experience, you know, that really sort of committing to the idea that, that you can do more things together, um, brings out that same attitude in, in, in collaborators. And it's not perfect. It's, but it's, but it's more often than not led to good outcomes for me. I would say, you know, not just for me, for, for us, for, for, for teams that I've participated in. Completely. I, I think there's an old, I don't know if it's an African proverb, but if you want to go fast, go alone. You want to go far, go together. Um, yeah. And if you want to make that lasting difference, it usually takes a team. Uh, very cool. Well, I mean, I, 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 can, I, can give, I can give a specific example about that. Um, uh, when I was first starting my lab, I really wanted to work with with CRISPR, uh, this this new gene editing technology, and I was trying a whole bunch of things in my lab in the early days when CRISPR was just being had just been invented as a gene edit, editing tool, and I was hitting a whole bunch of roadblocks, and but I had a lot of ideas about things I wanted to do to try to get it to work in human immune cells, things that I would do if we could get it to work, and. I was talking to everyone who would listen about, you know, what was what, what may be possible, and through just telling people my ideas, somehow eventually I got invited to a meeting at Berkeley with uh, with Jennifer Doudna, one of the inventors of, of CRISPR gene editing technology, and you know, I remember actually feeling some 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 trepidation that you know this was you know, one of the most brilliant scientists who had this incredible, a well-resourced lab. And I remember I did have some thoughts of, well, if I go and sort of ex explain my ideas and, and put myself out there, maybe I'll get steamrolled. And I'll, I'll say in my career, that, that meeting turned out to be a major turning point where I, you know, I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't never met Jennifer before and had, hadn't realized that, that she, she is really a superlative collaborator and was totally open to sort of putting the strengths of our labs together. And we had an open discussion about things that each of us can contribute. And it sparked a collaboration that's still going on that, that has really opened up enormous scientific avenues. It's, it's putting together things in, in immunology and medicine that my lab knows about with incredible technology that's coming out of Jennifer's lab in Berkeley. And it's that that collaboration has expanded into a much larger effort of building a whole innovative genomics institute in collaboration with Jennifer, where she's the director and I'm now the scientific director of medicine. And so many, so many possibilities have come out of me sort of getting over my own fear of, of you know, what would be my role and having an open scientific discussion and embracing a real collaboration. So I'm, I'm ing incredibly grateful for Jennifer's collaborative spirit. But uh, that 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 leap made all the difference for me. Mm. Powerful, 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 and brave in that moment. Some would say um, it's funny what seems brave in a moment where there's a little uncertainty of what's going to happen. If you're going to get steamrolled, if it's going to work. But then on the other side, you're like, wow, it was so silly not to do this. If I would have not done it, it would have been ridiculous. It would have not led to all these amazing things that unfolded. I love it when those work out. Here's a question. What's a moment over the years that made you feel incredibly humble? Well, you know, it's, it was actually it's a period around the same time 
where I had my, I was filled with ideas. I had UCSF had given me a big opportunity to start a lab at a young age at sort of an accelerated time point in my career. And all of a sudden things weren't really working scientifically. And more critically, I, I felt that my runway was getting shorter and shorter. I was applying for grants. And I think in my first year of starting my lab, I applied for 20 grants. And again and again, I just got back the, the feedback that they were all rejected. And they all said, well, you don't have the preliminary data. You don't have any proof that you can actually do the things that you say you're going to do. And I felt like I was just stuck in this incredible rut where there was this catch-22 that I needed data to get to get money and I needed money to get data. And, and, I, and, I, and I felt real, real fear that, that this thing that I'd been training for decades to do all of a sudden could crumble that, you know, that, that, that I was just at this vulnerable moment of starting my own research program and I may not be able to continue it. I was watching the clock tick down. And, um, and I have to say at a real low point, um, I, I can, I started confiding in this, this in, in friends of mine that I, that this, that I wasn't sure if this was going to work because of dwindling resources and, and a feeling that I, you know, that the risks I were taking, I needed some more time for them to pay off. And a friend of mine introduced me to a philanthropist and he, you know, my friend said basically, you know, what you're doing could matter, could, could really matter. And let, let people in, let people feel the excitement about what's possible and, and share it with people. And I, I'm, I, it was, I met a philanthropist, uh, a real estate developer who just expressed a belief in me and donated an amount of money to my lab that really opened up the chance for me to take some, continue taking risks and not to get too conservative in our approach too early. And so I, I learned a lot there. I learned the, the importance of, of, of turning to friends. I learned, my friend taught me that, you know, asking for a gift isn't always about, it's not about, you know, asking something of someone, but it can also feel like an opportunity, you know, for someone to give, to bring someone in and allow them to engage in something that's a potentially exciting endeavor for them too. And so, you know, th that was another form of, of, of important collaboration for me with my friend and with this philanthropist. Um, his, I'll, I'll give his name, Jake Aronov, who made an enormous difference in the, in the trajectory of, my, of, of, of research and opened up so many possibilities with giving us that extra support, that extra belief and that longer runway to really take off. Very it's amazing. And, and there's a common theme of collaboration, openness, vulnerability, all these things seem to have led to so much goodness in each, each story I'm hearing here. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I'll say it's not in retrospect, I can sort of tell some of these at the time it, it was, it was painful and, you know, it felt like asking for help and admitting, admitting vulnerability was not, it was not immediate apparent that that was something that I was, would be comfortable doing. But, uh, in retrospect, I'm, I'm sure glad I did. It's amazing. Someone was posting something the other day and they, they said, you know, don't let people's highlight reel on social media make you feel bad. No one's posting the bad stuff. Now what's interesting, this is going to be a little bit of left turn has nothing to do with what you're talking about, except for 
the most popular things and people who seem to gather so much attention for whatever that's worth in their world are posting all the things that don't work. Um, and, and this is going to sound odd, and I'll come right back where we were in a second, but for people listening, you got to think about this. If you look at the family who lives in L.A. that garners some of the most largest attention in the world, the Kardashian family, they're always posting about breakups and divorces and, and mishaps and all kinds of chaos, and they gather all the attention in the world. People seem to think that just posting your good stuff is what people want to see in here, and it feels good to post your good stuff, but there's something special. When you let someone in deep enough to see the real stuff, the ups and the downs, it creates a different level of connection with somebody where they're willing to connect with you at a whole different level, and they're willing to see more of who you are, and it creates a bond and a trust and a, and a real connection at a different level. Coming back to what we were talking about, I apologize for the left turn there. Um, th that concept, though, of it's the same thing is held true here. When you had that extremely vulnerable moment, when you shared something that, quote, quote unquote, wasn't necessarily working in the moment, it led to a connection and it led to people who were willing to see the realness in you and open up their caring or their checkbook or their support to be there with you, both in not only connecting you with someone, but also supporting you in a way that could says, oh my gosh, you need help? You know, if, if all we see is the bulletproof side of someone constantly, we're like, well, what help do they need? They're fine. But if you see the side that, that needs the help, if there's someone who likes the help, all of a sudden they'll see an opportunity to step up and step in and go, I'd love to do that. And there's lots of people, we forget there's so many people out there who could, can't wait to help in those moments. Like they're looking for their opportunity in life kind of like this person was in that moment. And you happen to say, hey, I, I need some help. And they go, I'd love to help in that way. And they stepped right up. It's a beautiful moment. Um, but but so often we forget because it, it, we're in a, a interesting point in history where people, and I think they've done it for a long time, but people champion all their, their highlights and their strengths and what they're great at because uh, it does feel good. And it makes us feel in control of our life and it makes us feel like we're accomplished and things are working. Um, tends not to feel as good when we're vocalizing the stuff that's not quite working. I, I, I think that this is really true. You know, I, I will say, on the other side, I think that there can be sort of a, a public media, uh, social media sharing that doesn't foster connection, that sort of using this human vulnerability just, just sort of um, uh, in a way that doesn't actually foster connection, but just sort of di dilutes the power. I agree. Uh, of, of, of just you know so i think that there that you know that there's uh, some 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 thoughtful boundaries between personal and private uh and and public sphere are important but i think your your larger point is 100 percent correct that in going back to the idea of what does the world need more the idea that we need more connection the basis of connection is really these moments where we can in 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 in, in various forums recognize each other's humanity and that can only happen with sort of these moments where we choose to open up to each other and and so i you know i think that selective opening real honesty in in in, in the moments where it's appropriate is is the fundamental basis for connection and for so much of what's what's great in this world i love that point i love that point because there's I don't think the world needs more people abusing it in ways to garner attention to try to make money off of it. 
Uh, but I, I do think, like you've done, the world does need more who are opening up in a way of genuinely doing good in the world and trying to do things for the better of you know betterment of the world or humanity or animals or different causes. Um, who, like you said, selectively opening in the right spaces. A big question for some people out there might be, how do you know when it's the right time? Well, I think that that's a struggle for all of us. You know, when when is the time to be stoic? When is the time to 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 really sort of tap into strength? And 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 when is the time to 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 admit vulnerability? And I think that wisdom is really a form of, of, of knowing when, when to embrace each of those. I think that there's, there's some balance that that's needed. And I, I certainly don't have the right formula, but it's something that, that I, I try to struggle with and, 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 and approach as I, as I try to gain more wisdom. Um, I think that there are moments where, where the, yeah, overcoming some instinct about, about projecting strength and realizing that there's another path that that's complementary, of 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 openness of, of vulnerability, um, just expands the set of possibilities and really sort of enriches the the ability for us to 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 connect with either people that we know well or with strangers. Absolutely. So, here's a question: What's been an awe-inspiring moment over the years? Um, you know, i i went to I went to medical school. And I didn't, re- I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do. I, I liked the idea. I liked science and I wanted to help people, but I didn't really know what being a doctor was, if I'm being really honest. And I wasn't really sure what my career was going to look like. And I remember very clearly as I was thinking about what, what, what was possible, what were the careers out there, a lecture that I heard from my genetics professor who I really admired, can still admire, um, and it was, it was an exploration of why is the heart on your left side of the body, and why is the liver on the right side of the body, and you know that's the the idea that there's something that is just part of our lives and we take for granted, could become a question and an open exploration. I I found incredibly inspiring, and it and I got led down this path by this lecture. Turns out that. Well, the most of us have hearts on the left side of our body. Some people don't, and you know there there's actually some some people who have reversed organ sides, and and that has led to genetic exploration exploration of what are the genes that actually put the heart on the left side of the body, and and really sort of a fundamental physics question of if you start off as one fertilized egg, that's that's symmetrical that doesn't have a left and a right, where does a left and a right come in, and it turns out that there's little little cilia on the on those cells that in, in the early embryo that have a directionality for which way they beat and they move the fluid from one side to the other and start creating a signal and actually start creating left and right and as these details emerged i realized i was just inspired by by the by the human potential to ask questions about the world to ask questions about how we're built how we interact with the world not to accept it for for granted to to investigate, and then to come up with new knowledge. The idea that the knowledge is there and that it's buried, but that through real creativity, exploration, people taking different approaches and putting disparate pieces of data together, we can actually have real insight. Uh, to me, that was enough to sort of 
solidify that I wanted to take a, 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 a trajectory change in my career and really focus on the parts of medicine that we don't yet understand. I think that there's incredible work to be done by delivering medicine that works and making sure that people get it and that it's and, and that it helps people. I think that there's this other part of medicine that, that's really called to me about paying attention to all the things that we don't yet understand and embarking into this, this into those areas with an open mind and an investigative spirit. What about this one? What about your greatest fear? Um, my greatest fear is not taking advantage of my own potential. Um, I feel really fortunate with a lot of forms of privilege that I've been born into through really no doing of my own. A, a loving family that provided a, a stable home, a great education, um, a lot of wonderful serendipity that's put me in a position where I think, you know, if I, if I, if I take advantage of it, there's real opportunities to make the world a slightly better place. Uh, maybe, maybe hopefully a meaningfully better place. And, but I realized that I've, yeah, I guess I feel fortunate that, that through these things that had no doing on my own, I've, I've been given potential to, to do things that have meaning. And the, the fear that I might not be able to, to realize that potential is, is, is something that I, that I wrestle with. What about the future? What are you most excited about? Uh, I am excited about the unknown. I'm excited about discovery. I, 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 I show up in my lab and young people who are in my lab working as PhD students or at different stages of their career will show me things that they've discovered. And I'm, I'm excited that I'm helping to create an environment where, where discovery is possible. And I love being surprised. I love seeing things that we didn't think were possible or didn't yet understand all of a sudden becoming possible or becoming understood. And I, I see that happening at an accelerating, accelerating rate, not just in my lab, but broadly, I think we have tools for discovery We're we're positioned to make discovery. And I, I hope that we, continue as a, as a country, as a world, to double down on investing in, in giving young people the resources to, to, to imagine what's possible, to investigate how things work, and to build new things. And that we also think about how to responsibly deploy them. Because I think that with every technology, every breakthrough, there's, there's, there's the potential for things to make things better or for things to make become worse. And I hope that we can couple that joy of discovery, that joy of innovation with things that also alleviate human suffering and make, make our human experience better. I love that. love that. Now we're going to switch gears to the second segment of our show. There's just three questions in this segment. We call it the nuts and bolts. This is the tactical, tangible, practical, applicable, immediately applicable kind of stuff for people listening. Um, the first question here is what do you currently focus the majority of your thoughts and time and life on each day as of right now? Well, I'll give you the honest answer. 
is that this this is a this is a struggle i think like for me like many that there's an enormous gravitational pull to spend my day responding to emails to uh, dealing with administrative issues to putting out short-term short-term fires or or responding to short-term thoughts and i think that something that i personally have been thinking about is how do i you know how do how do i take care of all those things which are critical and create an environment that that's essential for for long-term innovation but at the same time create the space where i can be receptive to new ideas where i have some time for long-term thinking and you know i i don't always do it i'm not, i have to be honest about this but the i the days where i where I walk to work or take a walk and free my mind a little bit, I start to, to realize that, that those are better days. Um, that the, the the ability to have some non-directed thoughts that are that that and look at look a little towards the horizon um, is something that I'm trying to incorporate much more into my into my life. I love that. One of my business mentors, he's bought and sold companies for forty something years now, um, gone up positive hundreds you know 700 something millions of dollars in net worth uh when it didn't work out he landed up negative 200 million dollars in net worth (laughs) he's had the journey uh one thing that he's learned over the years he said the most valuable lesson he's learned over those years is something you just said which is he calls it thinking time it's you know an hour once a week we sit down with a pen and a piece of paper and nothing else exists except for one question and a whole hour to just write about it. And he yeah. said it's the most powerful tool he has in his tool belt for all of the business he's involved with. And he's like that one hour a week of sitting down with one question, just trying to really answer it in depth and forcing my pen to keep moving for the entire hour has helped solve more challenges and opened up more doors and opportunities, he said, than any other tool he's ever come across in 40 years of business. I was like, wow. I think there's, I think that's wise. I think that's wise. Yeah. And it's amazing. It's amazing that we can treat that as a luxury. You know, it seems, you know, I think it seems so critical, but it's easy to put that on the back burner and and ignore it. Yeah. I work work with business owners every every day of the week and all of them to that sounds like a fairy tale, (laughs) (laughs) like an hour, a whole hour of nothing except for just thinking. Wow. <laughs> Especially with children and spouses and projects and customers and all stakeholders and everything else. It's like, wow. Uh, but like you said, I think something, an experience my wife and I had a few years ago, we moved to Costa Rica for two and a half months and just worked from there. And we didn't realize how changing the environment would radically reshape our perception of everything. Um, I remember halfway through, we got hired to come and do an, a, a training for a company in Texas, and we flew back up. And when we walked through a mall, I mean, it felt like digital overwhelm in every direction. We were like, there's so much stuff, and there's so many people, and everyone's going so fast. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and we just yep. didn't realize what had happened over that month, or, you know, month and a half or so that we were down there. Um, but there's something nice about also finding space where things slow down or if it's possible creating space like you said because we all feel pulled and compelled to do the admin do the responses always be firing back and forth with people but to find space or time or locations or create space or time or locations where things can just slow down and we can kind of be is very important 
Next you know, question. I think we we carry around these smartphones, and you know, it's it's the 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 promise of the smartphone was that this would be something that built connection. I, I realized that I you know I said that what the world needs more of is connection, but I I think that th that kind of minute to minute connection that's impersonal is actually is actually in many ways the the biggest thing that competes against our ability to have this long-term thinking and deeper connection because the ability the, the expectation that we have to be in touch on, on, a, on a time scale that's not realistic for for us it has has ma made it very very hard to be a human you know to, to think about people waiting to hear answers on a, on a minute-to-minute -minute basis when really so, so many better answers could require some thought and cogitation and, and, and time. Yeah. I think I read a research study a long time ago, and I'm trying to remember the exact stats, um, but it said, you know, they did research of people who were over the age of, I think, 50 or 60, and they said, what's a reasonable amount of time for someone to respond to you if you reach out to them, phone or email or anything? And I said, you know, seven days seems reasonable. Uh, <laughs> it went down to, you know, 30s and 40s. And they said, what's a reasonable amount of time that someone should respond to you? And they said, within 24 hours seems about right. Um, and then they asked young people under the age of, I, I think, 15 or, or 14 or something, you know, what's a reasonable amount of time? And these people said, w within 10 minutes or something's wrong. <laughs> and it was like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> My father is an architect. Uh, he uh, and he he told me that one of his mentors, this must have been 40, 50 years ago, um, gave him the advice that when you get back the final drawings for for a project, the, fi the final the final blueprints, um, before you mail them in, take take 48 hours, and just don't do anything, but come back and look at them with fresh eyes to make sure that you look at everything over and see if there's anything that you want to change before you finally send it in. And I think about this a lot. I think that there's so many parts of this that are different from our world. One, I think the idea of having a physical blueprint that you're ultimately accountable for, that's your end product, is so different from having electronic designs or PDFs that bounce back and forth and get changed on a minute-to-minute -minute basis. And then the idea that you can give yourself space of 48 hours and just sort of not active time of trying to change it, but just letting it sit and being receptive to new ideas that come in in that period before you make a final decision. I think that we could use a little bit of a pendulum swing back towards this idea of giving ourselves time and giving us a little bit more of, of a tangible final product that we commit to. So true. So true. So true. So true. Here's our next question. With all that you have going on and all that you're focused on, what would you say is one of the keys to your success? You know, I think one thing that I've, I've observed, and this is, I've observed this in science, but I suspect it's true in, a lot, in lots of different professions. I think that people have very different styles. And I'll, I'll say in science, like there's, there's, there's people who have success of working alone in their lab. There's people who have success of studying one protein for their whole career and going deep and knowing more about that and using one, one point of entry that they go deeper and deeper to make incredible discoveries. I think 
those people are inspiring and have made major contributions. And I guess what I've realized is that I, my mind tends to work a little differently. And I think where I've been successful is, is giving myself permission to work in the, in the style and in the ways that feel in, enlivening to me. And to me, that, that means looking for points where I can see things that seem disparate and putting them together. And that goes back to the idea of collaboration, but the idea where I've had the most success is think, seeing things that are working in one field and thinking about how those things could be applied to a new field to answer existing questions or open up new possibilities. So I think the idea of, of making bridges, of collaborating, of, of trying to open new doors in terms of applying new technologies to answer old questions in a field is what feels natural and exciting and enlivening to me. And being open and honest about where I think I can make contributions has been a successful formula for me. Not doing exactly what, what I'm told I'm supposed to do, but really thinking about what's the style of science that's conducive to my mind and that will be energizing as a practice for me. Now here's our final question. For everyone listening, what is one actionable tip we can share with them that can help them experience the kind of success in their life that you've been able to create in yours? Well, I, I think you know. I think I think that there's some balance. I, I, what I can't tell people exactly is how to balance this, but I, what I'm seeing is that there's a balance between two things that I think are contributors to success. One I talked about, which is persistence and determination. I think there's times in our lives when in order to succeed, we have to put our heads down and sort of endure and discipline ourselves to achieve things. And I think that that can be very powerful in, in making, in bringing ideas into reality. I think that what that needs to be very carefully balanced against is also making sure that we give ourselves space to be creative, to be receptive to surprises, to be receptive to other people's ideas. And oftentimes that comes from not that kind of tight-fisted determination, but a release and an openness. And and maybe maybe going back to, to a vulnerability. And so I think, I don't know how to advise people about where to, to strike that proper balance of switching between modes or using both modes of determination and receptivity. But that's what I'm working on, and and I and I, I think that there's promise if we can strike that right balance. I love that. I love that. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you for taking some of your time to share with us. Um, if people wanted to learn more about your lab or, or look up anything that you're working on or or just connect with you in some way, uh, where can we send them? Absolutely, uh, my lab maintains a web page. It's uh, called the Marson Lab. Uh, M-A-R-S-O-N, or you can look up our website, which is marsonlab.ucsf.edu. Very cool. Very cool. We'll make sure to put that in the show notes for everyone who's listening. Go and check it out. See what research they're up to. See what projects they're working on. And if you feel called, maybe see how you could support and or help them participate in some way. Uh, thank you again for joining us. It's been a pleasure. And for everyone who's tuning in, if you heard something here that a friend, a family member, a colleague, or you know someone you know or care about needs to hear, we believe that sharing is caring. We like caring people around here, so make sure to share it with them. 
and we very much look forward to seeing you all next episode. Thank you.